If you take your Bibles, you can take a pew Bible there right in front of you. If you didn't walk in with a Bible, and flip to the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1. As we said, what we're going to do over the weeks of this fall semester, uh, we're going to preach through uh, 10 hard questions for Christianity walk through some of the things that maybe people think are a challenge for the Christian faith. What about evil? Uh, Can you trust the scriptures? Uh, Why would God send people eternally to hell? Uh, What about the Bible's view of homosexuality? Isn't that just bigoted? Isn't that a lack of love? And on we could go. We're going to look at a number of those uh, over this semester and attempt to do so, think through them together theologically, see what the scriptures have to say about these things. It seems appropriate that where we would begin is with the question tonight of why am I here? It's often one of the first things that people are wrestling with. Why do I exist? Why am I here? Why are any of us here in this room this evening? So we're going to look at that together this evening. What I want to do is just read a few verses from Genesis, and we'll look at them just kind of glancingly tonight, but I want to read Genesis 1 through 5, because that's the first day, and then I want to flip over into verse 26 and read about the sixth day. So let me pray before we open God's word here together this evening. Father, we are thankful that it is true that the reading of your word is powerful and effective. We're thankful that the preaching of your word is powerful and effective. And we pray that that would be true this evening. Help each of us in this room that has to wrestle with What your word proclaims, help us to wrestle with it by your spirit this evening. Or otherwise, our wrestling will produce no fruit. Would you help us to wrestle with the truth of this word and not fall on deaf ears this evening. Help us to think according to truth. Help us to think with heavenly minds. Help us to be stirred by the power of your spirit. Christ's name, amen. Genesis 1, 1 through 5, and then we'll flip over to verse 26 and look at the sixth day. This is the holy, inerrant, sufficient word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, there was morning, the first day. And over to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, 
after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The grass withers, flower fades, the word of God is forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. Why am I here? It's a good question. Why am I here? My guess is, is that this was the primary question that most people asked for generations upon generations. I don't think it's the normal and the first question that most people ask in our generation. I think that's changed. Like it's changed over the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years or 15 years. The question has become, not why am I here, but who am I? And they're intimately related to one another. Why am I here? Who am I? And Western culture is now racked with an identity crisis. Who am I? Am I male? Am I female? Am I straight? Am I homosexual? Am I transgender? And on we could go. In fact, our children are told that they are to question who, who they are. That's to be a pursuit. Question who you are. I've lost count over the last number of years how many personalities I've heard on the radio, how many news stories I've read in newspapers and on the internet that are lamenting the fact that there is a rise in depression, there is a rise in anxiety, there is a rise in drug abuse in our culture. They're flabbergasted. And they keep trying new things that are really the old things. Sinclair Ferguson once pointed out, he said, we have governments and institutions that are spending endless millions to help young people in the midst of an epidemic of depression, anxiety, and confusion. And he said, our society is like the woman with blood in the Gospels. The more she spent trying to get better, the worse she got. Why am I here? Who am I? They're intimate related. Who am I? There is who I am as others perceive me. They take into account my family of origin. They take into account my education, my profession, my 
experiences, my opportunities, and in many ways, that's who I am. It's true in a sense. It has shaped me. Then there is the identity that people ascribe to me based upon what they see, what they see on the outside, the habits that I do, the things that I am engaged in, the demeanor that I exert, the ways that I act. Is that truly who I am that could be? The way we act, these habits, these chosen ways of operating the world are not just what people identify with me. They were my choices. They are who I chose to be. I choose to do these things. And yet, there can be an internal struggle that others can't see. Maybe it's not what actually is produced on the outside, but it's that internal struggle that pulls me to do this or to do that, contrary to what I'm doing on the outside. Maybe that's actually who I am. Or maybe it's both. Or maybe it's neither. Start doing this, and we can turn ourselves inside out and into knots with this kind of reasoning. And that's what this world is doing to us. Western culture is doing to you, to me, to our children. Let's make this simple. I'm not what others ascribe me to be. I'm not what I do nor what I primarily feel within. I'm none of those things. Our society sets young people on a personal project to find their identity or even to decide it, but we don't find it. And we surely don't decide it. Our identity is given. I am who God made me. And with the purpose that he gave me. What this world finds hard to understand is that we are absolutely lost apart from God. And so the world will keep throwing money and it will keep throwing lament and will keep throwing whatever it finds in the kitchen cabinet at it. But our problem is that We are lost apart from God. Mankind's identity and purpose is tied up together. They're tied up together. You can't separate them. Therefore, it's no surprise that there is confusion about who we are when we get rid of God. When God disappears from the picture, so does our identity. When we lose God, we lose ourselves, and that's what we're witnessing. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 make it clear that you and I, we were created in the image of God. We, out of all the creation, out of everything that he made, more so than the blades of grass, more so than the animals that roam the earth, more so than the fish, 
More than even the angels and the archangels, we occupy a place in creation that is distinct and different and unique, set apart. We are created in the image of God. You and I, we are the Imago Dei, the image of God. We were created either male or female. Our gender is not fluid. It is not my decision. It is very much tied to my, bio- my biology. How I was created. Every single cell of my body has the DNA of my gender, and so does yours. And as male or as female, we were each created to represent God in this world. So God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them your identity one of the fundamental flaws in the approach of modernity but we could say every age of mankind is thinking that we are independent determiners that we decide who we are We decide our purpose, why we're here. But I want you to go back with me, very beginning of the Bible where we just started. It starts this way for a reason, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. That's it. In the beginning, God. And then we read of his creative acts, his creating all things, creating the heavens and the earth, creating the light, separating the light from the darkness, creating the expanse and the waters. And on we could go until the sixth day when we read that he created man from the dust of the ground. He created a male and female. But again, in the beginning is God. There is nothing in the beginning but God. That's it. This means what the Bible is proclaiming to you and I is that God alone is independent. He alone. He self-exists. He is uncaused. He is self-sufficient. In theology, we speak about as the aseity of God. The ah, say, Latin, say, of himself, from himself. God is uncaused. He's wholly self-sufficient in his own being. Therefore, he cannot become some other actuality, something that he is not. He can't become something he isn't. He already is. Nothing is added to him. Nothing is subtracted from him. Nothing can be taken from him. Nothing can be given to him. If it could then that would highlight something lacking in him. Or it would mean some kind of absence of being or goodness or perfection. You can't become something without adding or taking away. God is being. He's not becoming. You remember when Moses is up on the mountain, he sees that burning bush and God sends him down to Pharaoh and Egypt and to save his people from Egypt and He will say, who do I say has sent me? And God will just simply say to him, I am who I am. That is, I exist. He's just being. He's actuality, not potentiality, actuality. 
He exists. He is pure act itself, defining life, being life in the most absolute sense possible, a life that is not derived, but true, absolute life in and of himself. Now here's where it hits you and I. We are not like this. That's not you. That's not me. We were created. We are, in de- we are dependent beings. We were created. He shaped man from the dust of the earth. He formed woman from man's side. He breathed life into them. God formed. He created. He breathed. We are dependent beings. Created by him. All that we are derives from outside ourselves. It's based upon something else. We become because we became. We're dependent beings. Dependent upon God. And here's the kicker. That means we're dependent upon him for who we are. And why we are here. You don't get to determine it. You're dependent. You don't get to determine it. You're dependent. He decides who you are. And why you are here. He fashioned you. And he created us in his image, as we see there in Genesis 2, where he gives this command, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, have dominion over all this earth. What is it? We are his image bearers, whereby we are to reflect his glory throughout the earth. We're to populate the earth so that when he looks down upon planet earth, he sees himself reflected back. Why you're here. We exist to glorify him, to exalt him. Paul will famously say in 1 Corinthians to the Christians, you are not your own. But you see, we could say that to every single person that has ever lived on the face of the earth. You're not your own. You were created with a purpose. To glorify him. That's why you're here. Your very identity is that you're an image bearer of God. You don't get to decide. That's what you were created to be. We were all created by him and through him and for him. I'm an image bearer of God. That's who I am. What is my purpose? To glorify him. Stephen Charnock, the old Puritan, said this. He said he was before all things, meaning God, and therefore depends on no other thing. And as we said, one clear implication of this doctrine is that God derives nothing from his creation. So even as we worship him, even as we glorify him, even as we exalt him, he does not receive anything that he does not already possess. We don't add anything to him. God has all fullness in his own divine being then why do we exist to glorify and praise Him? Why? 
Let me give you two reasons why. This is why you are here. Two reasons. First, because God's fullness is worthy of worship. Because God's fullness is worthy of worship. God is a perfectly moral being. He is perfect in wisdom. He is perfect in holiness. He is perfect in righteousness. He is perfect in goodness. He is perfect in beauty and in truth. Everything he wills, everything that he does is because it is the right thing to will or the right thing to do. And as a perfect moral being, if something is to be exalted and praised, it must be that which is in itself deserving of the most exaltation and praise. That's right. There is nothing more worthy than God. He's the most beautiful. He's the most right. He's the most good. He's the most true. And so he is deserving of the most praise. Rightfully so. If we are moral creatures, which we are, and we are going to esteem something or someone, which we will do because you are a moral creature, you can't help but do so. We will find that we are only doing so rightly when we find we are esteeming and honoring and praising that which is most worthy. And that's Him. You're a moral creature. You're going to ascribe praise to something. The thing that you are to ascribe praise to should be the thing that is most worthy of ascribing praise to. You're going to worship something. You're to worship the thing that is most deserving of worship. He alone is worthy of the highest praise. Moral creatures do this. We can't help but do this. In fact, it may be pleasure or health or the environment or this or that cause or this or that person or music or art or your home or security or self, but something will receive the highest praise, your worship, your person, your devotion. You see, what the Scriptures are telling you and I over and over, that voice outside of ourselves is saying over and over to us that He alone is worthy of the highest praise. And he is worthy of all of your praise. Let me give an example. If we just finished the Macker basketball tournament that URC has been doing the past couple of years that Blake puts on over here, and let's say that uh, that Alan Knapp back there won the URC basketball tournament, we might say, well, Alan is the greatest basketball player. And we would ascribe him that praise. Now, it would be silly if we were sitting at a Spartan alumni dinner and Alan is in the room and someone says, well, Alan is the greatest basketball player. And someone would say, who? i say, did, did you know about Magic Johnson? greatest basketball player and there would be a form of embarrassment for Alan to think oh what should not be ascribed to him as being ascribed to him it should be ascribed to Magic Johnson 
But even Magic Johnson, you put him in the right room. And you put him in the room with Michael Jordan and someone says, well, Magic Johnson, you are the best basketball player. He would demur. I've seen him do it. Say, ah, ah, I'm not worthy of that praise. Michael Jordan is the best basketball player. There's all kinds of things that you and I may give praise to, that we may be drawn to, that we may delight in, that we may say, oh, this is an excellent and true and right thing. But in creation, in this universe, in all of existence, there is one thing that deserves praise and glory and adoration above all, and everything else is to demure in its sight. Because he's worthy. He alone is worthy to be given all praise. He is far superior to all. As Jonathan Edwards said, to him belongs the whole respect that any intelligent being is capable of. To him belongs all the heart. He is to be regarded above all beings, all things, all entities, because he is far superior to all he is worthy. Why are you here? To worship and glorify and give praise to him. That's why you're here. Second, you and I glorify him to know fullness. And I glorify him to no fullness. Our Westminster Shorter Catechism that we use here at URC that we abide by famously says and rightfully asks, what is man's chief end? And man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now let's say this before we consider the Shorter Catechism. Sometimes we present the Christian faith as if it's a formula for happiness and There's a rightness to that. There's a wrongness to that as well. When we do this without first acknowledging the first thing that we just pointed out, that God is worthy of all praise, that He is worthy of all glory, that He is worthy of all adoration, if we don't primarily make it ultimately about Him, then all we do is we present Christianity as if it's some kind of self-help project like everything else. It's just about self-improvement, another self-help program. And we promise self-absorbed sinners a gospel that is still self-absorbed. No, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Pick up his cross and follow me. It's not ultimately a self-help program. Whereby we're still consumed with ourselves. It requires repentance. It requires turning from our self-focus. We exist to glorify Him. But having said that, and all of us in this room understanding that first, having said that, I want you to notice what the Westminster Assembly rightly does. It's very careful with its language here in the first question and answer of the Shorter Catechism. They say, man's chief end. Notice it is not end. It's not plural. There is one chief end, one principal end, one great banner over all of human life to be lived under and aimed at one thing. Yet notice that one thing has two verbal elements, to glorify God 
and to enjoy God. Let's break this down together. We have two actions that make up the one ultimate end. Two actions to glorify and to enjoy. Both of these two actions, they have an object and they have the same object. God. Glorify God. Enjoy God. So let's summarize what we see here. One end made up of two actions with the same object of those actions. Our chief singular end, singular end, is to glorify and enjoy the person of God. Not two distinct things. One thing. One ultimate end. In two actions, they are inseparably tied together, glorifying God and enjoying God. Tied together, we glorify Him and enjoy Him. We might even say that it's impossible to break them. You cannot enjoy God without glorifying God, and you cannot glorify God without enjoying God. They go together, two sides of the same coin. One end united by a singular action of glorifying and enjoying. Now this has gripped me for years, for close to two decades now. Remember the first time I ran across this, I was reading Jonathan Edwards' uh, treatise, The End for Which God Created the World, and it changed my life. And he was pointing out this very thing. I exist to glorify God. He's worthy. That's why I exist. But what moved me and what has gripped me for close to two decades now is that God has tied together His glory and my enjoyment forever. Put them together. His exaltation and my good together. Now, he didn't have to. He didn't have to. He could have made what he created us for sheer drudgery. He could have been like Pharaoh in Egypt who said, ah, make these bricks without straw to my praise and glory so that there is erected to me something great. But he didn't. He is so beautiful and good and right and true. He ties together his glory and my enjoyment. makes the very thing we were created for worship an everlasting delight. And that is an eternal kindness. An eternal kindness from an eternally good God. His glory, our enjoyment. Let me give you four quick applications here at the end. First, 
Know that you're here with purpose. You're here with purpose. I've never met anyone that doesn't want their life to be meaningful. Everyone wants their life to mean something. He gives a purpose. He gives every single one of our lives in this world purpose. J.I. Packer said this. He said, living becomes an awesome business when you realize that you spend every moment of your life in the sight and company of an omniscient, omnipresent creator. All of a sudden, today matters. All of a sudden, tomorrow matters. All of a sudden, what I'm doing in the office matters. What I'm doing with my children matters. What I'm doing washing these dishes matters. It all matters because I'm a participant in this grand story. I'm a character in it existing to give glory to Him. And whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I'm to do to His glory. And I can. And I participate in this grand symphony of all of creation that is mixing together all of these notes to give praise to Him. Today matters. It matters. I matter. Second, you will only find true joy when you are fulfilling your purpose. You are happiest when you are doing what you were created to do. Use this illustration before, but it's what goes through my mind. I drove a Toyota Corolla for close to 20 years. Uh, you know, it's a little jobber, little four-cylinder, uh, little tiny car that some of you would have to fold up in the back seat to sit in the back seat. And, uh, I liked my little Corolla. We affectionately called it Speedy Pete. He wasn't so speedy, but that's what we call him, Speedy Pete. We name our cars at the Lopolis house. And uh, Speedy Pete, I loved him, but I always felt a little awkward, right? When I would pull up to a, a stoplight and you're next to that. It's always in East Lansing, that Ferrari or that Lamborghini. And we start off at the stoplight, and Speedy Pete, I'm just blowing past that Lamborghini. Doesn't feel right. Because the Lamborghini was made to go fast. Speedy Pete, we're just mocking him with the name. He's not Speedy. The Lamborghini's meant to go fast. It was created for that purpose. Don't let the Corolla beat you off the line. You were created to be a glorifier and worshiper of God. That Lamborghini was happiest when it was going fast. You will be happiest when you're glorifying and enjoying God. And you will find no contentment, no peace, no delight till you are. Third, you're still here, but you are. You wouldn't be hearing the sermon tonight. You're here with purpose. You're still here for a reason. 
It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how feeble you are. It doesn't matter how sick you are. It doesn't matter how lonely you are. It doesn't matter how ungifted you feel. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are, how neglected you are, how pained you are. It doesn't matter. You're here with purpose. As long as you are here, the Lord has you here for a purpose. And when you no longer serve those purposes, he takes you home. But until that day, you're here with purpose. So live with that purpose. To glorify and enjoy him. Fourth, every person you meet has dignity, purpose. Everyone. Every single one. They were created in the image of God for the glory of God. And many don't know it. They don't understand it. And yet every single one of them matters. And we know. You know now tonight. You know. You know that they are in the image of God, designed with purpose, and it should affect how we consider them. It should, it should affect how we treat them. It should affect how we hope for them. It shouldn't lead us to despise them, regardless of their sinfulness, but rather to mourn for them. Walter Wengerin said it this way. He said, every time you meet another human being, you have the opportunity. It's a chance at holiness. For you will do one of two things then, either you will build him up or tear him down. You will create or you will destroy. There are no useless minor meetings. There are no dead-end jobs. There are no pointless lives. Swallow your sorrows, forget your grievances, and all the hurt your poor life has sustained. Turn your face to the human before you and let her for one pure moment shine. Think of her as important, and then she will suspect that she is fashioned of God. Every person you meet, you have that opportunity. And don't leave it there. Tell them. So many people that are ah, lost in this darkness. You've got a Western world that's telling them to figure out who they are, question who they are. And you know, people walking around and watching a video this afternoon, it shouldn't have been, was, of the, all these people that were on the streets in Seattle that are hooked on fentanyl, just trying to find an escape. And we know, it's much better than that. You exist as an image bearer of God. You have the chief place in all of creation. And you can know complete joy and peace and everlasting life in Christ. In Christ. You've got to share Christ. Finally. Look forward to heaven, because it means only a more fully realized 
reality of this purpose. You were made by God for God. You might as well get used to it, Christian. Because you're doing this for all of eternity. We were just delighting in Him day after day after day, giving Him glory and praise day after day after day. And it will be absolutely delightful. Beyond delightful. Because it's what you were created for. It's why you're here and it's why you'll be there. And it's why you will exist for all of eternity. Why are you here? To glorify God. Who are you? You're an image of God. Meant for Him. Pray together. Our Father, we are thankful that you created us with purpose. How awful it would be to go through this life and the pains and miseries of this life and think it was all purposeless. But it's purposeful. Give you praise and glory. Do pray that you would help each of us to know the delight it is. Be worshipers of yours. Have that image of yours fully restored in us by becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus. And to look forward with great expectation of worshiping you for all of eternity. Help us to live now for your glory and praise. And help us to delight in you above all other things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.